The show is not responsible for any lost or stolen items. Hey everybody, it's Dr. Doug Birch, and you are listening to The Fairly Spiritual Show. Have you ever heard these two words? Complementarianism. Egalitarianism. Honestly, I think they're terrible words. They're just way too long, too hard to spell, too hard to tweet. But they represent two very different worldviews when it comes to how women are treated in our society. On today's show, I'm going to talk about how complementarianism can lead to the abuse of women. It's an important show. I hope you listen. Thanks for joining me. Here we go. back to the Fairly Spiritual Show. I hope you're a regular listener. If not, you're forgiven, but you can certainly subscribe to the podcast because don't we all just want another podcast to subscribe to? Can I get an amen? Can I get a witness? Uh, so on today's show, I want to talk about complementarianism. Uh, by the way, complementarianism and egalitarianism, uh, we just need new words. <laughs> they're they're way too long. I've said this in the past. I'm going to keep saying it. We need to have a council where people come together, even people from all sides of the political spectrum or, excuse me, the theological spectrum. But we could just decide smaller, simpler, easier words to spell because, you know, complementarianism, every time I write that out, I have to go Google it, make sure I have, you know, that there's that E in the middle that you think is an I. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so anyway, if you don't know what I'm talking about at all, there is a debate. And depending upon your religious background, depending upon your denominational affiliation, some of this might be very just unfamiliar to you. In fact, before I uh, got on Twitter, I didn't realize what a big issue this is, particularly among Baptist churches, the issue of complementarianism. In fact, some of this stuff I thought was just something that, you know, it used to be in the 50s. People had a certain view of women, but they don't have that anymore. But uh, there is a strong, and I would even say a resurgence, of a theology of complementarianism. Now, okay, I want to talk about this theology in the context of abuse. Now, let me be clear. Uh, I don't believe that everyone who has a complementarian, oh boy, I hate saying that word over and over again, <laughs> theology, our view of existence, is trying to be abusive or is abusive. But I do want to look at some threads. And, and by, by the way, just saying this, some people are really angry at me right now, but I get to be me. And this is something I've noticed. And I, I need to talk about it. I need to address it because I think it's serious. Uh, I believe that some of the ties we have to abusive practices in churches and some of the abusive practices we see online are directly tied. They're a direct overflow uh, a direct result of having complementarian theology. Now, it might mean that certain people are attracted to this kind of theology who might also be attracted to abusive practices. But let's assume that that's not the case, or that's not what I'm addressing. 
I want to address this reality. And one of the reasons I want to address this reality is uh, uh, my friend Beth Moore, I've seen her since yeah, about 2016 and when she began to stand against uh, you know, some of the wicked practices of President Donald Trump or candidate Donald Trump. Um, and also when she began to speak out about abuses uh, towards women within her own denomination, uh, she began to face a tremendous backlash for the fact that she teaches. Uh, and I would say she teaches and preaches, but however you want to define these things, she was um, greatly attacked for that. And the arguments were these theological arguments for complementarianism. Now, there's a whole spectrum for what people mean by this. Uh, and some people would say, let's say the, the most, um, the least aggressive form are some people who just believe women are not allowed to preach or teach in the church. And they'll look to certain um, passages, uh, particularly from the Apostle Paul, and they will argue those passages make it universal, that women are not allowed to preach or teach in churches. Uh, there are uh, some other expressions of this that some have to do with in the household, how they think a house should run the concepts of Christic manhood and Christic womanhood, but that's probably the, the biggest one there. And, and I'm not going to spend a bunch of time talking about why I think women uh, should be uh, preaching in churches. I, I, I believe the Bible doesn't teach that women uh, shouldn't preach in churches. I don't think that what Paul is addressing there are universal, universally applicable teachings. And frankly, one of the things we often don't address is whatever the church was during Paul's time, what we do now is really different than that. So we take the role pastor, like when Paul uses the term shepherd or pastor or elder, or whatever term he uses, and we bring it into the modern era and we put it in our context. But the role of a pastor, an elder, a deacon, every single one of those roles in the church today, how the church functions today, they're, they're almost completely different than how the church functioned during the New Testament time. So that's kind of an odd thing as well, to take a very different functioning church, uh, different roles, different culture, and then just to take those words, well, it's the same word, and to try to apply it in the modern context, I think is a problem with understanding the context of the text or the contextual context of the text. That's a lot of uses of text, contextual context of the text. Anyway, so this is what I want to talk about, though. Um, at one level, it's deeper. Complementarianism is not just about whether women can preach. This is the thing that I've seen, and I've seen it expressed. It's this argument. The argument is that women cannot teach or lead men when it comes to anything spiritual, and in some cases, anything in general. That is a form of complementarianism that is taught in many church circles and by church experts. The concept is that women cannot lead or teach men, and they apply it to all sorts of areas. That means uh, women cannot be professors. Uh, they cannot be the CEOs of a Christian organization. They can't be in any position where they are leading men or even where they are teaching men. And sadly, uh, I've seen this. There's even women who you'll hear how they'll talk, um, particularly uh, female writers who believe in complementarianism. They'll be very clear to continually say that they are teaching women, that they're doing women's ministry, that the things that they are expressing are not for men, 
but for women. And you'll, you'll find it said in subtle ways, but they have to be very clear that whatever they've written in their book, whatever they're teaching in their seminars, whatever they're doing is not for men because they cannot lead men under that context of complementarianism. Now, I've seen in the last, I don't know, since I've been on Twitter and particularly since I've uh, become uh, friends with Beth Moore, that uh, I see this attack on her. It's a constant attack on the limits of what she can say, when she can say it, and who she can say it to. People getting greatly upset. Well, you know, she spoke at that church on a Sunday, and a Sunday is when pastors preach, and they should have announced that she was a guest speaker speaking towards women's issues, or it was a Mother's Day sermon addressed towards women, or it wasn't a Mother's Day sermon, it was a Mother's Day teaching addressed to women. There's all this language, and there's all these gatekeepers and boundary markers trying to determine whether she, and this is expression of, of all women in these circles, but her being uh, probably the most popular when it comes to social media and the popular culture, being basically assessed primarily by men, but also by women as well, about who she can teach to, what she can teach, when she can teach, how she can teach. Something that as a pastor, as a male pastor, I have not faced any of that. So uh, looking at this and, and watching more as an outsider, and frankly, since being on social media, shocked by how prevalent this is in certain cultures, uh, I have some thoughts. And, and this is what I want to address, how complementarianism leads to the abuse of women. Now, I'm not saying all forms do this. I'm not saying people who believe in complementarianism are abusive. But the theology itself, the theology particularly that says this, that women cannot teach or lead men, that theology leads to the abuse of women. Some people might argue that theology in and of itself is the abuse of women, but let's, let's not say that. Let's say that's not abusive. But that foundation leads to abuse. And I know in saying this, some people are going to get really upset with me, but I think it's important for us to see how embracing a theology like that, a belief, let's say, in my marriage, if I believed my wife cannot teach me anything about God, she cannot lead me in any area of my faith, of our faith, and our faith decisions. Her job, her role is to do what I believe we're supposed to do as I believe I am the only one given the authority to lead the family. That is my job to lead. It is my job to discern God's will for myself and to discern God's will for our marriage. And by saying I am discerning God's will for our marriage, I am saying that it is my job to discern God's will for my wife, not her job. In relationship to our marriage, she doesn't have that volition. She must submit and surrender to Christ leading in me. A theology that believes that the Holy Spirit cannot lead me through my wife. The Holy Spirit cannot teach me through my wife. That the Holy Spirit only works through me in the teaching and leading in my marriage. This is also presented in the terms of the family. So this happens. Girls who grow up to be young women in a family versus boys who grow up to be young men Girls are taught this. They cannot teach or lead the men in their own family. 
that the Holy Spirit, that Christ Jesus through the Holy Spirit, will never teach their Father anything through them, that the Holy Spirit through them will never teach their brothers through them. Now, God can lead their Father through the sons, and God can have the sons lead the the sisters, or the daughters, or the brothers to lead the sisters. But the sisters are taught. The Holy Spirit will never speak through you in a way where you lead any man in this household. Not only in this household, but in the church you go to, you will never be able to speak into the life of anyone who is male. You'll never be able to lead them. You'll never be able to give them wisdom that allows them to turn. You'll never be able to do what Aquila does, where she instructs Apollos um, that he is wrong in the way that he is preaching the gospel, or he doesn't have the full message of the gospel. No, you will not be able to do that. How does this lead to abuse? Well, this this is what I want to say. If you believe that women cannot teach you, that they cannot instruct you, that you cannot find the leading of God from them, what's left? How are you going to view? Let's say, how are you going to view your spouse? If you're a man and you believe that your wife cannot lead you, cannot teach you, how are you going to view her? What kind of relationship are you going to have? If I'm not looking to my wife for wisdom, and I'm not looking to her for intellectual stimulation, like in, in my marriage, my wife and I enjoy talking about the things of God. I enjoy listening to what she has to say about God, and she enjoys that, I think, what I say as well. So we have this intellectually stimulating life. On our days off, we can just drive in the car and talk about the things of God, and she can challenge me, and I can challenge her, and the Holy Spirit in us brings us to a a knowledge of who we are and who God is in our marriage. She can say things like, you know, I think we need to be moving in this direction more. And I can say, thank you for sharing that. I haven't thought about that. I'm going to pray about that as well. But if I'm not looking to my wife for wisdom or intellectual stimulation, and by the way, the intellectual stimulation that I get is through the things of God, through the leading of the Holy Spirit. But if I don't have that engagement, how will I define her? What will her worth in the marriage be based on? Because her worth is no longer based on, uh, you know, I value my wife because she shares with me the things of God. I know we're supposed to just value people regardless, but there are things that you love in a marriage, right? Well, if I can't love that, I can't have Christ be, you know, speak through her to me. I can't have Christ uh, discipline uh, me through her. I can't have... Uh, any kind of correction, any kind of leading, any kind of preaching or teaching, how am I going to look at her? Well, this is what happens in complementarian environments. We begin to look at women primarily as just people to serve us. And that's the term we use, a a submitted wife who, who does whatever her husband needs. And so women basically become people who are there just to serve our agendas. This is what I want done. This is what I want to eat. This is how I want things to look. This is what I want you to do with the kids. And they become the servants of the master of the house, the male head of the house. They become basically just extensions of us. They're only valuable in as much as they serve our agendas. 
So we can see this in complementarian settings. Uh, what are things that we often highlight? The dutiful wife, right? The domestic wife, she is valued for her domestic duties because she's not valued for what she says anymore. She's not valued for her wisdom or her intellect or her, her ability to lead or to discern the things of God. So what is she going to be valued for? Well, how well she cooks and how well she cleans and how well she is a good mother to the children. Uh, women, by default, become defined in their worth, in their acceptance, in the relationship with not only in the marriage, but within the church by their domestic duties. They also become defined primarily through sexuality and procreation. Because again, they're, they're no longer seen as, as an equal who can you know, allow for your, your intellect to be challenged. They, you, in your own home, a man can't find the leading of God, and so they have to go to church and have a pastor or a, a brother or a friend lead them in Christ. But in home, the wife can't do that, so then what's left? Well, you know, we have sexuality, so she can still serve me sexually. Or in that context, uh, the Christian term we used, she can serve me in, in having children and being a mother. So what roles are defined more in those cultures? Being a mother, having children. That's why it's incredibly hard for single women who, who grew up in these environments is because if you're only defined by your domestic duties, how you can serve a man, like literally you are defined by how to serve a man and you're living as a single woman, well, then where's your value? Your value is in serving men, so it's in being married, and it's in having kids, because that's your value. Your value isn't your opinions, your thoughts, your visions, your spiritual giftings. Well, yeah, you know, she can lead other younger women. Well, who are you going to lead when you're single? You don't have children to lead. Well, you can volunteer in the nursery. You can teach the Sunday school class. When we do this, single women become incredibly devalued in these cultures. I mean, married women are devalued, but single women just don't exist. It's like, well, until you get married, until you have kids, there's not really much you can do. So what happens with complementarian theology, we begin to highlight women, their worth is their domestic duties how good of a wife they are in serving and making the house in proper order and, and all, you know that whole genre of Christian literature and Christian oppression that is placed upon women. And I get it. If you're a woman who loves to do this and that's your thing, that's fine. But the reality is we're not giving people a choice to do that. The theology says that's what you must do. You were created to serve your husband, not to lead not to teach. So show your worth in how well you do the domestic duties. Show your worth in your ability to procreate and have children and in your sexuality. And it, there's a reason that in some of these complementarian settings, women are constantly, they, we constantly talk to them about how they look. You need to look pleasing to your husband. You need to make sure you keep the weight off. You need to make sure you smile and are healthy and are sexually attractive. And it's, whether it's said, it's implied because your worth is in how well you please your husband. And the way you please your husband is not through intellectually stimulating conversations. It's through wearing the right clothes and staying attractive and making sure the marriage is still sexually interesting. Am I going too far here? I don't think I am. 
Because what do we also see in these complementarian environments? Uh, we see women being blamed for the affairs of their men, right? When a man has an affair, we say, well, you know, you let yourself go. Because remember, the reason you exist in this home is to have kids, uh, to serve your husband's needs, to have your do the domestic tranquility of the house be okay. And you're failing at that. And so he had to go somewhere else. And if you'd just done a better job in your role, he wouldn't have that affair. And you find those affairs are often, that kind of concept is often attached to complementarianism. By the way, egalitarians have affairs. I'm just talking about in this context of the dangers of complementarianism. Women become overtly sexualized. And frankly, a lot of our Christic womanhood stuff is really an over-sexualizing of women. Because women are not allowed to lead, they're not allowed to teach, then they must express their worth through wearing the right makeup and having their hair look the right way. And you've been in those church environments where you look around and everyone is just dolled up. You can be in a conference and you can see a group of people come in and you can tell their view of men in leadership based on how the women look when they walk in. You know, one of the saddest things is, okay, marriage is difficult. And here, let's, let's, just, let's just go really, uh, let's go into stuff people don't talk about. If you're married for a while, sex, sexuality and sex becomes complicated. There's a familiarity that you, know, you have to mature and grow in your sex life, right? Well, you know one way you grow in intimacy and in your sex life is not just making everything about physical attraction. You grow in a deeper intimacy and attraction. You grow in falling in love with your wife's mind. You grow in having these deep, long conversations about God and the kingdom of God and being truly connected as one where, where you sense the leading of God in your wife and she senses the leading of God in you. That intimacy helps you with your sexuality. But what are we doing? We're cutting men and women off from that intimacy where they have nothing to talk about when it comes to the leadership of God, except for a wife saying, yes, dear, what you say, I will follow you. That does not lead to intimacy. So what are they left with? They're only left with sexual attraction. They're only left with physical appearance. And it's no wonder when an affair occurs, they say the problem was you weren't attractive enough because that's all they have left after a certain amount of time. It's just taking care of the kids, taking care of the grandkids, doing the work in the house, following the husband's lead, looking pleasing and attractive. But guess what? We get older and life gets more difficult. The kids leave the house. So how do you define your worth then when the kids have left the house? And age has a way of making us not look like we looked like when we were young. So how do you build an intimate relationship? Complementarianism leads to harm, and it leads to abuse when women are primarily looked at in terms of procreation and how pleasing they are physically. It just happens. Think about this. I, I thought about this. One of the things I loved is my, my daughters, when they were young, I loved that they did sports. And one of the reasons I loved they did sports was because it was another way for them to be identified in school outside of just some of the worst stuff, like how you look, right? There's already enough insecurities when it comes to being a boy or a girl. 
but a teenage girl, that's difficult. So it was nice that they could do sports and have just another way to be identified, a more holistic way to be viewed. The more things you take away from women, the more you say, no, uh, we're not going to listen to your voice. We're not going to listen to Christ in you. We're not going to follow your lead. You take away things and what is left is less. And if what's left is more about how you serve me and how you look and how good of a mom you are, then that will lead to abuse. Now, I've used the term abuse here, and I just I just want to get at a few of them. One, I think that's one of the reasons you see this over-sexualization. This is one of the reasons you see, and not to excuse this, why you see pastors who have these theologies have affairs, that when a woman is with them, they're not listening for the voice of Christ from that woman. They're not following the leadership of Christ in that woman. They're not even believing that the Holy Spirit can speak through that woman to them. So any woman that is in their presence, at some level, they already see them as someone who's there to be submitted to them, to help them with their needs. And so, where's your mind going to go? What are you going to focus in on? Sexuality, looks, how well someone, you know, praises me and feeds my ego and does my agenda. That kind of dynamic leads to abuse, to oppression, to really bad things happening. Whenever we lower the voice of Christ in women, it leads to the abuse of women. Whenever we devalue the leading of Christ in women, it leads to the oppression and control of women. You know, another area that I think is abusive is there are men online, social media, who they don't believe women can teach them, and yet they are arguing with women online. That in and of itself is abusive. When you say, I have the right to tell you what's wrong, but I won't listen to you because I don't think you can lead me. What kind of an abusive tactic is that? So the women can't even respond because the man can say, this is what's wrong and you need to submit. You shouldn't be teaching. You shouldn't be preaching. And then when the woman responds and says, this is what I think is wrong with that, the man can say, you don't get to lead me. You don't get to teach me. That is wrong. That's basically yelling at someone and then refusing to listen to them, putting a tape over their mouth and saying, you must shut up and be silent. I only get to speak. I only get to lead. I only get to teach. That, my friends, is abusive. And we see that practice all through social media. Men who don't believe women should be able to teach or lead, yet they're going around trying to teach and lead those women. It's a one-sided conversation. And whenever there's a one-sided conversation, it leads to abuse. These are concerns Now, hear me clearly. There is every form of abuse with people who have egalitarian theology as well. People can have perfect theology. I'm not saying that's perfect theology, but it doesn't matter. Uh, People can be hypocrites. They can do evil. They can practice wickedness. I'm not saying somehow one group doesn't do as much as another group, but I am pointing out some of the issues that we are seeing in aggressive complementarian theological existences. We're seeing women treated as second-class citizens to be controlled, to be manipulated, to be taught and led without listening for their hearts. Just to be able to share, hey, I think you're wrong. To be able to say, you've missed the mark. And let's say even if you believe in some form of complementarian theology, couldn't you be wrong? Couldn't you be an error? Why wouldn't God use your wife 
to be able to speak to you and say, hey, you know what? You've moved this thing way in the wrong direction. You, you've missed the mark. You know, the Holy Spirit in us will help us identify when we've been sinned against. To me, it's just heartbreaking that there are women who know they're being sinned against, but they don't feel like they can instruct or correct the one who is sinning against them. That becomes the perpetuation of abuse, where not only can a woman be in an abusive relationship and know that it's abusive, but she's unable to speak because if she corrects the one who is abusing her, if she corrects her spouse, she is not following the commandment that women should not teach and preach or lead a man. So I wanted to bring this up. I know some people might be offended, but we need to look at this because there is a problem. There is a problem. To me, any theology that lessens the voice in 50% of humans is a problem. Christ went to the cross for a reason. Now there is not Jew nor Gentile, male nor female. In Christ, we are a new creation. God sees his son in both his daughters and his sons. He sees Jesus in my wife. He sees Jesus in me. He's filled us both with the Holy Spirit so that we can be expressions of his goodness on earth. So I welcome the leading of God in my wife, in my daughters, in my sisters, in Christ. So those are some thoughts about complementarianism and my fear that it leads to abusive practices I hope you can receive this with a measure of grace that it is intended to be spoken to you. Boy, that was an awkward sentence. Good way to end the show with an awkward sentence. Love you guys. Make room for the Lord. He knows you by name. He, he, he is with you. He is for you. He is near you. Seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness. Hey, if you want to know more about what I do, go to fairlyspiritual.org. You can check out my new book that's released April 20th, Posting Peace. Why Social Media Divides Us and What We Can Do About It. I'd love to get that book in your hands. So go to fairlyspiritual.org. Remember to subscribe to the podcast. Make room for the Lord. He knows you by name. I will see you next week. Another-